team. They're going to be doing seven sets, so three today, tonight, four, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So pray for them. But it's going to be an exciting time. Awakening 2015. Yeah. Come on. Go Seahawks. <laughs> uh, who can forget the Super Bowl next Sunday? Amen. We're going to have a super Sunday. We'll have a little party here. We're going to open up the opportunity. The deacons are hosting a party next Sunday night. You won't want to miss that. We've got all kinds of stuff going on here. But this week, our focus is on awakening. Awakening our hearts to the Spirit of God, to what He wants to do in us and through us, to empower us, to reach, to reach. That's our theme, reach 2015, to reach our community, our city, and our generation. Amen? Amen. Last night, I had the privilege to meet uh, this young man that I'm about to introduce to you. And I was just so totally touched by his story and by what God has done in him. He is an incredible man of faith. I mean, great faith. God has sent him on a trajectory that's just nothing short of supernatural since his conversion about 12, 13 years ago. He's also really fit. He's a uh, cross, what do you call him, cross trainer? Crossfit trainer, the dude's bad, man. He got big guns on his arm there, man. But, uh, but he is anointed. He's traveled all over the world with Reinhardt Bunky Ministries. He actually has his own ministry called Burning Ones. Uh, preaching to crusades of tens of thousands around the world, lots of miracles, lots of supernatural. And uh, he was sharing, I could just feel it, man. I was at the table, I'm meeting my Daniel approved, my Daniel Fast approved, a meal at Boston Market of Vegetables, and I could just sense the anointing of God. And I believe today there's going to be total breakthrough in someone's life in this room. I believe today, you come, to, you come this morning, you bring a friend back tonight, come in, you, we don't do Sunday services normally, if you're part of this church family, you need to be here, and you need to bring someone with you, because tonight, man, we're just going to see the the release of God's power. We're believing for miracles. We're believing that God's going to do physical, tangible miracles in our midst, and we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the grace of God that's on this house. We're so great. God's grace is evident with us. His Spirit is with us, and I just want to say thank you for being part of the journey that God has taken us on as a church family. I love you. And I love this opportunity that I have to every once in a while bring a special guest in. And Michael Dow, he's married. His wife is Anna. And she is nigh under birth. She's nine months pregnant. She's ready. Like I like to say, she's ready to pop. No, she's ready to deliver. And uh, so he's got his cell phone. He's ready for that text message. But uh, he's got two beautiful children. Got three, soon to be three, Josiah and Ariah. And Emma's coming in the next couple, hopefully the next couple days. We're just praying that he makes it through the day today. That's my prayer. Emma can come tomorrow. We want to see Emma, but she can wait till tomorrow. Amen. <laughs> the boys probably said, I want her to come down. No, no. Hey, but you know what we do at City Church? We love to honor the man of God. And so what I'd like to have you to do with me, I'd like you to stand. And let's give Michael Dow a great big City Church welcome. Come on. Come on, guys. How are you this morning, City Church? Is anybody excited about Jesus? Okay, that was all right. Is anybody really excited about Jesus? Come on, I know you shout louder than that at your TV screen at the house when your team scores. All right, have we got any Seahawks fans? All right, okay. I'm sorry to all of you. I am a Boston fan. 
Right, I see a Patriots sweatshirt over here. All right, um, as Pastor Eugene said, I'm just going to set my phone here in case my wife does happen to call. She is ready, seriously ready, to give birth at any moment uh, to our little girl. I've been joking with her and telling her that she needs to quit holding her hostage because the rest of us want to see her. All right, uh, I'm just going to get rid of something in the very beginning uh, because I didn't really come to talk a lot about me. I came to talk a lot about Jesus. Amen. I want to make Jesus a big deal. Uh, but there are two books out there, Divine Life and Free Indeed, uh, both which have come out. This Divine Life came out just in December, Free Indeed last December. You can grab those. I believe that they'll be a great blessing to you. Uh, Free Indeed was written because I feel there's a confrontation that awaits you in the text. The confrontation is for what type of Jesus follower it is that you're going to be. You see, because freedom and obedience typically don't go together. You usually don't hear free to obey. You hear obey doctor's orders, obey your parents' instructions, obey the laws of the land. It's usually a restricting, uh, a confining type of word. But there's a freedom in obedience once we realize who Jesus really is. And when I see who Jesus really is and when I understand who I really am, because I can't understand who I am till I first understand who he is. There are revelations of who we are that are locked up in the revelation of Jesus. When Peter has a revelation of Jesus, he says, and I will no longer call you Simon, but from now on you shall be Peter. There was a revelation about himself that he did not even understand until he understood to a greater depth who Jesus was. And as we understand who Jesus is, we understand who we are. And we are able to give ourselves freely to this wonderful and beautiful place of obedience. But the question is, can you walk with a God that you can't control? Can you walk with a Jesus that you can't leverage your faithfulness against? You see, John sat in prison and Jesus said, Blessed is he who does not take offense on account of me. Which means you're really going to lose your head in the morning. But can you love me anyways? Can you love a Jesus that doesn't do what you want him to do? Can you love a Jesus that doesn't show up in the way that you want him to show up? Can you love a Jesus that chooses to do other things than what you feel he should be doing in the moment? These are the types of things that are in the book. Uh, I feel it would be a blessing to you to get that out of the way. All right? I don't enjoy that type of stuff. Just so you know, I don't even do it because it increases what we do. A hundred percent of it goes to the ministry that we run, uh, which goes to crusades and meetings in different parts of the world. We'll be in nine nations this year, uh, some that are friendly, some that are extremely hostile. Uh, we'll be in northern Iraq, in Cairo, Egypt, and some different places, uh, preaching to a people that desperately need Jesus. Amen. Our ministry is Burning Ones. You can find that at burningones.org. All right. Now let's pray because I honestly feel and I know it with all of my heart that God has something that he wants to do here this morning. Amen. Let's pray if we could. I'm just going to wait a moment on the Lord because I sense his presence in a very real way. If you would, I'm just going to ask you, just as you're sitting there, just begin to worship. Just begin to open up your mouth. Just begin to declare His praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And all that is within me will bless His holy name. We honor you in this house this morning, Jesus. We are not ashamed of you. Lord, we honor you, we recognize you, we want you in this place. 
Lord, if there's not a people in this land that will cry out for you, let it be said of this house right now that we did not miss our moment. We did not allow you to go walking by, but that we lifted up our voice to cry out because we are desperate for Jesus. Come on, I don't know if you're desperate, but if you are, I'm just going to ask you to begin to cry out, to open up your mouth. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. We love you this morning, Lord. Hey, I, 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 I. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. The Bible says all I need is a joyful noise. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Come on, this thing is not a game. I didn't come just to run out the clock. I'm not interested in religious routine. I shouldn't even be alive right now. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love your presence. I love, I love, I love your presence. Cause I love, I love, I love you, Jesus. I love, I love. We welcome you this morning, Lord. We welcome you this morning, Lord. We welcome you this morning, Lord. I pray touch every heart, change every life. I pray for an intersection because you are in pursuit of us before we ever realized we were in pursuit of you. I pray for an intersection, a burning bush, a road to Damascus. Or wrestling through the night with an angel that we didn't even ask for. I pray for an intersection that would radically change lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thirteen years ago, I found myself on a Sunday night walking into a church. Right here in central Florida, about an hour away. By the age of 21, because it was two weeks after my 21st birthday, by the age of 21, I was a drug addict, I was a drug dealer, I was diseased, I was angry, I was violent, I was hopeless. My parents had been divorced, I had been expelled from high school, and for those of you that aren't familiar with that terminology, it means that they thought it would be a better place without me there, so they asked me to no longer return. They said, please don't come back. I had a restraining order on me from every school, as a matter of fact, in Hillsborough County. They didn't even want me to be able to complete my GED, and so they put a restraining order on me, thinking that it would discourage me from actually trying to pursue the rest of my education. It was my senior year, and I had one more nine weeks left. And they asked me to go. My mom was getting ready to divorce my dad, and I found out she was in other relationships. And my dad was an alcoholic, and he had given himself to prescription drugs and was baker-acted several times. And my house was an absolute mess. But I didn't know that it was any different from anyone else's because we weren't close to anyone. 
And so I thought that what happened in my house happened in everybody's house. Until I realized that my house was very different than others. And I ended up out on the streets at the age of 15. I lived in my car for over a year. I was in and out of my friends' houses and I was homeless for a long period of time. When you combine an angry young individual who has questions about his life and no answers to be found, my guidance counselor told me that I'd never amount to anything more than a drive-through fry guy unless I changed. I got voted least likely to succeed in my high school class before bullying was an actual thing. This is not a game. It was my life. It was very serious and I was very angry about it. I thought that God created two types of individuals, those that would succeed in life and that would be able to enjoy the pleasurable things and then those that would have to endure this hellish type existence. And my life was obviously one that was more relatable to the latter. And at 21, I walked into a church having no experience with church. I had never opened the Bible for myself in 21 years of living. I had been to church twice, two Ash Wednesdays. My mom held a form of Catholicism that never really had any direct impact on mine or my younger sister's life. 21 years old, walking into a church, not because I was desperate for Jesus, but because I was trying to get into a fight. You see, on October 6, 2002, I went into a church on Pastor Appreciation Day trying to fight a pastor's son. That was my gift. I was going to wipe off the face of the earth one of his young sons. He had three. This was the youngest of the three. At the time, I was a wild, angry individual. I had a restraining order on me against every club in Ybor City, a few Walmarts, a few malls. I was a walking time bomb. I didn't want to live anymore. At the age of 18, I sat in a doctor's office and face-to-face with a man who had been practicing for many years. And I say practicing because it is called medical practice. But he had been practicing for many years. And he looked at me one morning and he said, Mr. Dow, your life is forever changed. You see, I woke up that morning with some issues. I woke up that morning with an experience that I didn't really know how to define, but I just knew that I was in some trouble. And so I made an emergency visit. And as I found myself sitting in this office... The doctor looked me in my face and he said, you'll never be intimate with a wife or with a woman for the rest of your life without the possibility of a transference of this disease that you have now acquired. You see, there are things in this world that science has no answer for, and this was one of them. You see, there are certain STDs, there are certain viruses that are supposed to never be able to leave your life, according to science. And I had contracted one of those. And a matter of fact, it was herpes. The doctor that day told me that I had. And he said, you'll never be intimate with a woman without the transference. For the rest of your days, daily, you are going to have to take medication, which I laugh and dance every time I see the commercial now. And I'll tell you why in just a few moments. But you're going to have to take these little blue pills. Maintenance, management at best. There's no hope. There's no promise of a better future for you. It will never go away unless science has an amazing breakthrough. He said you'll never be able to have children in a natural way because they will be, quote unquote, as he told me that day, tainted by your decisions and by the choosing of your lifestyle. This is where I was at when I walked into church. And I wasn't going because I wanted Jesus. I was going because I wanted to fight someone who supposedly was close to him. And I walked in with a backpack full of drugs because I had made a pickup that afternoon because, like I said a few moments ago, I was a business owner. I was running a street pharmacy, and so I had a backpack full of product with me. 
sitting on the back row of a pew in a 700-person church in Central Florida, caused an amazing scene outside of the church that nobody tried to stop yelling, cursing, pushing, all of these crazy things. No one intervened. No one stopped. No one said, hey, wait a minute, what's going on over here? It would have been a very bad deal for me had the cops showed up. But no cops. And there I sat on the back row of the church, running out the clock, waiting for church to end because the pastor's son somehow convinced me that it would be better to fight after service than before. And I said, have it your way, pal. We will fight after church. It didn't matter to me when we fought. I just knew that it was going down. And so there I sit on the back row of the church with two of my friends and a backpack full of product. And the pastor's son is frantically in the back of the church on his cell phone, all service, calling his buddies up to come and help him fight after church. And by the end of service, there's a line of 12 guys, all shapes and sizes, on the back wall of the church waiting for service to be over so that we could go out into the parking lot and get it on. And the pastor makes a very safe, cute altar call. He says, if you feel led to approach someone, again, I had no understanding of church. Everyone told me why I was going to hell. Everyone told me that because of my behavior and because of the visible things that they could see on the outside or on the expression of my life, they labeled me and considered me a beat to be a certain thing and told me I had no promise, no hope, no future. Hell was all that I could look forward to. Nobody ever told me that there's a wonderful Jesus. Nobody ever told me that God had a plan for me. Maybe you have people in your life right now that you've been judging and that you've written off and that you've said there is no way ever that person is going to give their life to Jesus. I would have been that individual in your life. And I would have driven you crazy because I did everything I could possibly do to lead people astray who said that they believed in this Jesus. And there I sat. And a woman approached me and she said, can I pray for you tonight? Because remember, if you feel led to approach someone, come to them, ask them if you can pray for them, bring them to the altar. Safe enough? A woman approaches me, can I pray for you? And I'm thinking, I'll do anything I have to do to get out of here. I just want to fight and go back home. I want to get back out on the block. I want to do my thing. I've got business to handle. I have a backpack sitting here. Whatever I have to do. Sure, you can pray for me. Can we go to the altar? I said, I don't care if we go to the altar. We can go to the bathroom. We can go to the parking lot. Wherever you want to pray, we can pray. And she said, well, the, the altar will be fine. And so off we go down to the altar. And I get down to the altar. And again, I had never been down here. So I'm, I'm looking around. And I notice the, the pastor, the guy that had been speaking, and his little team, his little entourage, they would approach someone and they would have a little bit of communication and then everybody would like jump on them. And there would be a lot of yelling and, ah, da, 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 and a lot of screaming and a lot of stuff going on. I had never seen anything like this in my life. And so they made it over to me and the pastor stood in front of me. And I guess I looked like I needed Jesus in the moment. I was much heavier than I am right now. I had long hair. It was always corn roll braided. I had five earrings, two eyebrow rings, a tongue ring, slashes in my eyebrows. I was a big, wild, angry looking guy. And I guess I had the look like I needed Jesus. And so he said, do you want to get saved tonight? And I said, do I want to what? He said, do you want to get saved tonight? Man, I, I don't know what that means. I said, what, what, are you, what are you asking me? What do you want? And so he was a little puzzled, and he stepped back for a second, and he thought to himself, and 
I guess after he gathered what he was going to do next, he stepped back forward and he said, how about this? Do you want to ask Jesus into your heart tonight? And I said, man, this is getting really strange. Like, I didn't understand the lingo. I didn't understand the, the, the churchianity, the, the lingo. I didn't know the language. I didn't know what he wanted. And so I said, man, this is getting really weird. I said, how about you ask me something I can understand and then maybe I can help you. Maybe we can get somewhere. And so we backed up again and he thought to himself and he looked at me and he asked me a question that has shaped the rest of my life. And he said, if you ever decided to lay your life down for God and to live it for him and for him alone and without hesitation, I said, oh man, that's easy. No, never. He said, do you want to do that tonight? And again, I'll do anything I have to do because I'm just trying to fight and get out of here. I said, sure, man. How do we do that? He's like, you're, you're really going to give your life to God. I said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do, how do we do that? I said, let's do it. And so everybody's really shocked because I'm not the guy who's supposed to be giving their life to God. And all somebody had to do was ask me. So he says, would you lift your hands? And I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer. And so I lift my hands and I start looking around because I knew this was the moment where I was going to get jumped on. And so I start looking around and I'm eyeballing everybody at the altar. And he said, what, what are you doing? I said, nobody is going to touch me. I've been watching. He's like, are you serious? I said, oh yeah, I'm very serious. Nobody is going to touch me. No one. And at this point, everyone's like, okay, you're right, man. Like, you ain't got to worry about that. Like, nobody's going to touch you. We have no plans on touching you. And he said, you really, you can't be serious. He said, would you just close your eyes and pray? I said, no, I'm fully capable of talking with my eyes open. I said, so I'm going to watch and say whatever it is that you want me to say. And he stopped for a moment. This is really silly. Okay, this really happened. And he stopped for a moment. And he said, Mike, wait. He said, you're safe. And when he said, you're safe, I was completely disarmed. Because you see, those words were not something that I was familiar with. Those words in the life that I was living, being in and out of jail, being out on the streets, always having to watch your back, always having to carry guns and all of this silly stuff, like that was not something that I was ready to hear. And in the moment that I heard, you are safe, I was completely shut down. And so I closed my eyes and I lifted my hands. And if I tell you that I was not intentionally seeking God that day, I don't know if it would be the whole truth. Because you see, for months... For months, I had been in a place where I would walk the streets at night with tears streaming down my face, looking up and out into the sky, crying out to a God that I didn't even know if he really existed. But all that I knew is that if there was someone or something out there, it was the only hope that I had to get out of this life that I was living. You see, because though you would have seen certain things coming out of my life on the inside, the condition of my heart, I was a lost, broken, desperate individual. And so I had been seeking God, but I didn't really know that God even existed. And my dad would sit down with me countless times and he would say, Mike, you were made for more than this. And I would say, you just don't get it. I am stuck where I am. There's no hope to get out of this life. The only way out is to die. And so I prayed what seemed to be a cute little safe prayer at an altar that I didn't even want to be at. Speaking to a God that I didn't even know really existed, waiting to fight a man who said he was close to him. And when these words came out of my mouth, 
what was just simple words in an experience that I didn't even believe in, I felt the strength of an embrace grab me and bring me in. Not because someone touched me, because remember, nobody was going to touch me. But not because someone actually touched me, but because Jesus himself had welcomed me and brought me in. And in one moment, what turned into a 45-minute encounter, I had lost all concept of time and space. I had no idea where I was. I broke and lost it. And I'm not talking about cute church crying. I'm talking ugly, boo-hooing, like beside myself, not being able to control it, boo-hooing crying. 45 minutes. All the while, there's a dozen guys standing on the back wall of the church waiting to fight the guy who is now lost in this encounter in the front at the altar. And coming out of one encounter, I was a radically different person. Instantaneously delivered from drug addiction, alcohol abuse, perversion, lust, pornography, everything that you can name. Every chain fell off of my life in a moment. Even my vocabulary had changed. I couldn't even talk the same coming out of this encounter with Jesus. And again, remember now, it's Pastor Appreciation Day. So there's a banquet being held after service for the pastor's family where they're going to honor him. I get invited to the banquet. I am seated at the pastor's table by personal invitation from the pastor. And this is where things get a little weird. Because when they start to recognize his family, I realize, oh wait, that's, that's his son that I wanted to kill. And wait, wait, that's his wife, the mom of the guy that I wanted to kill that felt led to come over and to intervene and to ask me to come down to the altar. Oh wait, wait, that's his dad. They're all family. And I went over and I apologized to all the guys that came. And I shook all of their hands and I said, I'm sorry for you wasting your time. But I don't want to fight anybody. I said, as a matter of fact, all I want to do is hug somebody. I said, but that's not me. But I can't even tell you what happened over there. But I know that a lot of me was left there. And I don't understand what is happening to me right now. But I just know I don't want to fight. So I'm sorry for you wasting your time. I got baptized one, one month later. I got filled with the Holy Ghost one month after that. I got healed and wiped completely clean at an altar in January of 2003, which means that I no longer have what science told me would be with me for the rest of my life, which means that my wife is whole, which means that my kids are whole, which means that my family is whole. And the only marking that I have to worry about now that is upon my life is the branding of the Holy Ghost and fire. There is no other tainting that will be attached to my family line other than that which is of the Holy Ghost. Science doesn't have answers, but that's without God being input into the equation. January 2003, I was made completely whole. And the funniest part of the entire story is that three years after that, I ended up marrying the pastor's baby girl. Which means that now my brother-in-law... Oh, yeah... Come on, you can't tell me Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor. Only God can rip a kid off the streets and take him to a church trying to get into a fight. Have him get blasted, wrecked by one encounter. Have him end up getting discipled by his parents and marry his sister of the guy that he was trying to run off the face of the earth. Only Jesus does those kinds of things. And I have never been the same. 
You see, because I had an encounter with Jesus. And I say that because it's important. I didn't simply have an encounter with church. You see, because I know many that have a relationship with church that have never actually encountered the man that church is all about. You see, this whole thing is about a man, and that man being Jesus. On one day, we will fully realize when God presents His Son atop of the mountain, the trumpet sounds, and everything is wrapped back up into Jesus and brought back into perfect harmony as it was before time and space as we understand it to be right now was ever created. And the Bible says that on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You see, but we have a wonderful opportunity to bow our knee now. We have a wonderful opportunity to fall on our face now. And you see, it was the grace of God that came to me, that actually allowed me, empowered me, gave me the invitation, and actually fulfills and sustains the thing that now keeps me in a place where my eyes are not on me, but they are all the time on Jesus. It is only the grace of God that can take a man's eyes off of himself. We live in a culture that says, look out for number one. Do what you can do to get ahead. We live in a culture that tells us that we have to be all about ourselves because nobody else is going to do it for us. But I tell you that the kingdom is a radically opposite place. And that the Bible says, even as Jesus himself declared, and the call has not changed in thousands of years, that if any man would come, if any man, he doesn't care how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what position you hold in the company. It doesn't matter how many Facebook friends you have. He doesn't care how many Twitter followers you have. It doesn't matter how many likes your last picture on Instagram got. If any man would come, not if you ever agree, not if you ever get to the place where it's convenient, not if you ever choose to decide to work your way into this place, it's the initial invitation. And he starts at the place that for many of us is the last place we want to go, which is self-denial. You see, but this thing is not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And he says, if any man would come, let him deny himself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when God bids a man, when he calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. You see, and this is something that's so beautiful that Paul understood. Because in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he writes to us, and he says, it's no longer I that live. But now, it's Christ. And can you hear the desperation in the voice of the apostle trying at best to communicate something that he sees that he's so fervently wanting to get across to the people who even thousands of years would read these words penned by a man who had a clear vision of Jesus. And he says, it's no longer I. The I, okay, the I had been laid down. The I was no longer alive. Which means if the eye is no longer alive, the eye can no longer be pursued. What am I saying? What I'm saying is this. Many of us would be comfortable if I asked you, how many of you know that you are not what you used to be? Come on, right? Jesus has been good. I am not what I used to be. I am not the same person. I don't have the same struggles and bondages and addictions. I don't have the same issues. I have taken off the old man, even as Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 22. Take off the old self. Take off the old self, which was being corrupted. And many of us would agree. Yeah, amen. 
I'm ready to take off the old self. I don't want to be that thing anymore. But you see, Jesus, not only does he want us to surrender the old self, he wants the new self too to be surrendered. And what I find is that many of us, we have this eye in our life that is very much alive. We have this eye in our life that we are pursuing. We have this eye in our life because what Jesus has done for me has now created this spiritual profile. And now I find, there's no better word for it, but I find this pride in my new man. And I'm unwilling to lay down this new man. But Jesus, even as being communicated through the person of Paul, it's no longer I that live. You see, grace is not just a teaching, it's a person. Grace and truth has come to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus is grace, which means that grace is Jesus, which means that grace is Jesus-centered and not self-centered. If you have grace that you believe to be operating in your life that is empowering this I, that is promoting this I, that is pushing this eye to the surface and pushing you to believe that everything is now about you, I would ask you to question what it is that's really operating in your life. Because it's the grace of God that allows a man or a woman to live like and look like Jesus. It's the grace of God operating in a person's life that breaks every chain because there are no chains on Jesus. He's broken every chain. He's gone into hell, death, and the grave, and he's defeated them all, and he's risen up on the other side victorious. And when we receive this grace by allowing this man to now be the central part of my life. I didn't say make him first. He's central. He's everything. I can fall into this beautiful place where my eyes are no longer about me. Where I'm no longer pursuing me. And you might say, well, there's no way that that could be possible if you have the revelation of Jesus. And I would beg to differ. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looks at his disciples and he has this interaction with Peter. And he asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And in 1616 of Matthew, Peter says, for thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But my father, which is in heaven, has opened your eyes that you see who I am. Six verses later. Because in verse 21, Jesus then begins to tell them, it says, from this time on, Jesus now begins to reveal to them, share with them how he has to go to Jerusalem because he's about to be mishandled, treated badly, and killed. And Peter, who can't understand how that could even be possible, pulls Jesus aside and in verse 22, rebukes Jesus and says, surely this will never happen to you. You see, but you have to understand that everything Peter hoped and wanted to be, he had left everything. He had left everything. Hear me. He had left everything to follow this man that stood in front of him. Everything that he had hoped and wanted to be was wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And if Jesus dies, so does all of my hopes and dreams. And Jesus, understanding the significance of the moment... He says, get thee behind me, devil, because you're thinking with the mind of men and not with the mind of God. Well, that lets me know that it's not enough just to have a revelation of Jesus. Because six verses prior, Peter has this wonderful revelation of Jesus. That's verse 16. Six verses later, verse 22, get thee behind me, devil. Six verses before, for thou art the Christ. Six verses later, get thee behind me, Satan. 
This is not like five years later. It's five minutes later. It's the same guy. Don't tell me, well, I believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus. Jesus, son of David, what do you want with us? That didn't come out of the voice of a disciple. It came out of the voice of a demon. They know him. Simply saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. Let me tell it to you this way. He's not a religious preference. He's not just the box that you check because you don't like the ideologies and the practices of the other things. It's not just something that we claim because we want to partake in all of the good things that he has to offer. The gospel is a life for a life. It's Jesus laid his life down for you and for me, and now he expects that we lay our life down for him. Any gospel that does not require the life is not a gospel I have time to listen to. It's life for life. It's not a self-empowerment tool. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the means and the end. He is all that we want. He's everything that we need. And he's more than we deserve. How has this revelation of Jesus impacted your level of surrender? Leonard Ravenhill says it this way. Are the things that you're living for worth Christ dying for? Is there an I in your life that has been unwilling to lay down at the foot of the cross? Is there an I in your life that you have been unwilling to separate from because you like some things and because you are pursuing some things and because you believe that some things, they're just things. We can do godly things separate from God himself. But I challenge you today, to give yourself to Jesus. I don't care if you've been saved 30 years. You could be saved for 30 years and never ever have fully handed your life over to Jesus. You could have been saved for two weeks. I sang it out in the beginning. I shouldn't even be alive. I did a great job of ruining my life. But now Jesus has given me another chance. And I will spend the rest of my days declaring the wonder of his name. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. You see, I believe that there's an intersection. There's an encounter. There's an opportunity right now, an open door that is being presented to you. And when I say an open door, hear me now, this is not a revolving door. We are never guaranteed another opportunity to say yes to God. We are never promised another moment to say yes to giving my life to Jesus. The Bible says that the day of salvation is today. That now, now is the time of salvation. I will ask you this simply as it was asked to me 13 years ago. Have you ever decided to lay your life down and to live it for God and for God alone? I'm not going to ask everybody to bow your head and to close your eyes. Not that I'm against those things, but because I personally believe 
that Jesus hung on a cross out in the open. That the Bible says he was made a public spectacle. That they offered their insults. They hurled their comments. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. They doubted his identity. If you are who you say you are, do something about it. You did it for everybody else. And in the moment when it seems to matter most, you do nothing. And he hung there and he died. If you can't make a decision for Jesus in here, where it's going to be celebrated, it's not such a welcoming place out there. And so I'm going to ask everyone under the sound of my voice, if you've never decided to lay your life down to this loving, wonderful Jesus, maybe nobody's ever told you that he's pursuing you, that he desires you, that he longs for you, but let me be the first voice then today. Jesus is after you. Jesus is after you and he will stop at nothing to have you. If you've never made the decision to lay your life down for God, I simply ask you right where you are, if you're ready to make that decision today. It doesn't matter to me if this is your first time here or if you've been here a hundred times. There's no shame. There's no disgrace. If you're ready to lay it all down and to give yourself to God, I just simply want you to shoot your hand up wherever you are. You're ready to give your life to God. Come on, today you're ready to give your life over to Jesus. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, thank you. You're ready to give your life over to Jesus. You know what? I'm going to ask you to do something to take one more step. If you just raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to come and to meet me right down here in the front. Not to embarrass you, but because I personally would like to pray with you along with the rest of us as we celebrate the greatest decision you could have ever made in your entire life. So if you just lifted your hand, step out from where you are. Come, just begin to come.